0: welcome to another episode of 100 words or less the podcast i'm your host ray harkins and this is episode number seven summer is approaching and it's getting hotter which is okay by me i'm all right with the sun but uh for those of you that live elsewhere that is hotter than here in southern california i apologize in advance because uh, there are parts of this country that get pummeled and uh as far as the heat's concerned. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry that you're feeling that, but uh, that's why you can listen to this podcast because you can be usually in air conditioned areas as you listen to this, or unless you're walking to work or wherever. Um, yeah, I hope you can stay cool in some way, shape, or form. But, anyways, uh, you need to subscribe to this show. Uh, people can go to iTunes and just search 100 Words Podcast. And it'll pop up, then you can subscribe, and every Tuesday you will get a new episode of this show. So subscribe, don't mess up, because some of you kind of pop in and pop out, and that's totally fine, I understand. But uh, this way you will have all of the shows that when you are able to revisit it, that you can do so, rather than just forgetting about it completely. Because I don't want to be forgotten about, and I want to hang out with you, I want to have a relationship. And you can also follow us on Twitter at 100 words podcast and if you have any other additional questions feedback or whatever else you can email me at 100 words at gmail.com and uh, like I mentioned in a previous episode uh, sometimes people ask me questions and I randomly have stuff lying around my house that I'm like I don't I don't want this anymore or I don't know what to do with this, and so uh, I just send a gift to people just because, uh, you know, I don't need a ton of stuff in my house. I already have an absurd amount of records, and um, yeah, anyways, not saying you'll get free records or promising free stuff to everybody that writes me, but you know what I'm saying. Um, Let's get some housekeeping stuff out of the way. I also need a programmer slash coder uh, to help me with the 100 Words podcast website, uh, because as of right now, uh, my goal is to have people that don't want to subscribe via iTunes and stream it through their web browser to be able to do that. But I am stupid, and I only have a very, very, very rudimentary knowledge of how to do that. So someone reach out to me. Let me know if they'd be able to help. I can pay you in some way, shape, or form, and we can, we can work something out, you know. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. And, uh, also I do a music festival with, uh, my good friend and occasional contributor to this show, Joey, we do a fest called sound and fury. And, uh, for those of you that are into independent music, hardcore punk, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, go to soundandfuryfest.com and you can see a list of all the bands and come to the show. It's super fun. It's in Santa Barbara. It's a really nice time of year in uh, that area, it's in from July 20th to the 22nd, and uh, yeah, a bunch of bands that you've probably liked at one point or another are playing, and uh, it's a great time, so come out to that. And one other random thing, so I recently had the pleasure of seeing the band Rammstein for the first time live, and uh, a friend of mine had been speaking their praises for years and years and years, pretty much as long as I've known him. And so he he's always been like, this is probably one of the best bands I've ever seen live. And he, he works at a record label, and he sees bands all the time. So for him to say that meant something. And so they were playing the Honda Center uh, in Anaheim, just down the street from me. So I was like, well, as long as I don't have to pay for a ticket, because I'm a cheap bastard, that I'll go see it. So me and uh, one of my friends who it was his birthday and Rammstein is one of his favorite bands so we decided to go and like words really aren't enough like it it, it was an unbelievable show because i mean you hear i don't know if anybody has ever spoken to you about this band or what they do live but it's insane i mean the production value is ridiculous like there's fire and giant penises ejaculating on the crowd sorry if that offends some of you um they you really words can't describe it you must see it live and even if you're just a super casual fan of the band like i am um i mean honestly i knew i know one song by the band like that "Du Haas song like the single that broke them here in america um but it's just an unbelievable show and it just got me thinking where it's like there's there's different types of shows there's like obviously shows what we typically call it you know you go to your local all ages venue and you know three four hundred kids show up and bands play and it's a fun time that's a show and then you have a concert which is obviously like next level up and you know you're talking about you know between a thousand to ten thousand people depending on what you view as that but it's you know, it's more of a larger nicer venue and uh, you know the bands the bands put some production value into it and then there's an experience which is basically what I had with Rammstein and probably only a few other times, like seeing Sagi Rose at the Hollywood bowl or seeing Guar as ridiculous as that sounds, but they, those are experiences. And so I'm just glad to be able to kind of run across those occasionally in my life, because it really does kind of remind you of, you know, how entertainment works where it's like you, we get spoiled sometimes by going to so many shows and kind of forget that, um, you know, sometimes we're there for fun. You know, we're there to see bands and what have you. But you know, if you go to a lot of shows, sometimes after a while, that that novelty wears off. And so you need these experiences to kind of be like, wow, live music is absolutely unbelievable. So I just wanted to share that with everybody. I also wanted to bring Scott Arnold back onto the show. So, Mr. Scott Arnold. Thank you for appearing again and giving us your uh, cultural recommendations. What do you have for us uh, this week?
1: I have a little appreciated movie that happens to be my favorite movie of all time. It
0: can I before you say it? Can I venture a guess? Yeah, you'll never guess it. No, I know, but that's part of the fun of it. Okay. Um, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna think you're gonna say. Well, nope. let me give you a hint. Okay. Subtitles. Ooh, it's subtitles. Okay, I was gonna say uh, Mighty Ducks too, but. No. Okay. Continue.
1: The movie is called "The Lives of Others." Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of this movie?
0: I've heard. I've heard of it. I have not seen it though.
1: It was nominated for a, I think, foreign language Oscar mm-hmm. in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Th- and it's about East Berlin after World War Two. Okay. And a little history for the listeners um, at the time the government was listening in on everyone and they were really worried that people were going to defect to West Germany et etc cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. and this movie is about a prominent author and like art figure who starts to get these ideas in his head and then the government tries to just kind of follow him and make sure he doesn't get too far out of line and I won't spoil the ending. Well,
0: that's good. That's a, that sounds uh, that sounds kind of 1984 uh, ish in in a way. Nice.
1: But it's the greatest film
0: of all time. Wow. Okay. Even even better than Mighty Ducks 2. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and do you have any other uh, recommendations for us as well?
1: Yeah. My second recommendation is for the people in the highest tax bracket. Um. It's a magazine, podcast, radio station and radio network. It's called Monocle.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Have you heard of this?
0: Uh, just from you?
1: So this was started by the guy who made, he started out as a BBC correspondent and like in war zones and stuff in his like early 20s. Uh-huh. And he moved to London, started a prominent design magazine called Wallpaper, which it still exists. Know, Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, he doesn't... Have, I don't think he has anything to do with it anymore. And then he started this new brand called Monocle, which is kind of explores all things in finer living.
0: It's kind of like, I, I remember when I was a kid and I liked cars when I was like 10 or 11, the magazine The Rob Report. Do you ever remember that? No, I do it Basically, it was just like this... It was like Playboy for cars, where it's like they had ridiculous like Austin Martins and Lamborghinis and cars that like you there's like you know 30 in the world or something Uh but yeah so it's like you look at this and you're just like oh so these are vehicles that only like you know like 0.001 percent of the people can ever buy
1: or afford right right so this takes that to like a whole new level where it's like 115 euro for like a towel (laughs) <laughs>
0: made my, made by the uh, baby's eyelashes.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but they've done some really cool things. Like they started a, they were like one of the first big magazines to start a podcast and they spun that out into a 24 hour radio show. So they have different programs running all day. Oh, wow. And they seem to be doing well enough to, you know, they seem to have highly trained people in all over the world reporting so interesting so it's they, really cool
0: they, but they don't have like a television component or anything
1: um, they, they have a video podcast component where they're actually like interviewing presidents of countries and stuff mm. So it's I think their, their little tag is like design architecture, business and culture. Oh interesting
0: and it, yeah. it, it, the, the impression that I get is well something that may turn people off is the fact that, like, are, are are the hosts or the people that are obviously doing the interviews, are they snooty patooty, or they, is it they're just kind of like, well, these are very smart
1: people? Uh, both. Like, half of them are. Okay. And like, the the founder, uh-huh. he's the worst. Like, everything's about, like, like he has a column and stuff, and everything would, would be like, oh, I just got back from Tokyo yesterday, and blah, blah, blah. It, it's basically full of, like, humble brags. Yeah, the whole thing's breaks. There's actually a Tumblr like devoted to stuff you would say. <laughs> that's <sucks. laughs>
0: I love the internet.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: <laughs> well, that's uh, that's spectacular. I wanted to mention one movie that I saw recently that I'm still thinking about. I don't know if I've like if I like it or <coughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know how to feel about it. Okay. Uh, there's this movie called The Sound of My Voice. Have you heard of that yet? I've never heard of that. Um, we'll watch the trailer it it basically it takes place modern day um, it's this oh this, yeah this young couple that infiltrates or their goal is inf- yeah they infiltrate a cult
1: i saw it in the trailer it's awesome
0: yeah and that's kind of what hooked me and made me want to see it so um, a friend and i saw it uh, maybe it was about a week and a half ago um, it's it's in a very small limited run um, and i don't know anybody who's attached to it that's like you know of note or anything um, cause you know, all the people that are in the movie are definitely just, you know, independent actors. Yeah. But, uh, it was, it was a really compelling movie. Um, but then the ending, you know, the ending happens and it's kind of just like, huh? Like, I don't know. It's, it's very, uh, yeah, they, I don't want to say that they leave it like open ended, uh, but they definitely leave it up to interpretation where it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting movie. It definitely makes you think about it and kind of, you know, uh question the idea of sane versus, you know, s- sanity versus insanity and kind of what what defines that and sometimes people that are considered insane are actually sane and we're the ones that are not <laughs> not viewing the situation from the right light, you know. So, yeah. Huh. It's uh, it was interesting, and it was really short too. It was maybe about like an hour and twenty minutes. So, um, did yeah. it feel cheap? No, the production value was great, and um, it definitely, uh, yeah, you didn't you didn't feel like you were watching like a student film or anything like that. It was definitely, even though they had a limited amount of like places that they shot. Yeah. Uh, it still it still was cool. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I recommend it. It's a little uh, a little little mind twister, but not like in a you know. Crazy, like, oh, like, uh, uh, totally blanking on Christopher Nolan's movie. Inception. It's not like Inception where you're just like, oh my God, it's just kind of like, oh, a simple turn and it makes you think, so.
1: That's cool. Um, I would like to inform your readers that The Bachelorette is back on the air.
0: You are a big cultural proponent of The Bachelorette. It's my, uh, one reality show that I
1: watch. Good.
0: So, and you're excited about this upcoming Bachelorette? yes uh
1: the people i watch it from and myself all have a hunch that she had some work done um to her body you know, cool. and uh she got some new boobs of course
0: why why not uh, yeah so all right there we go well okay thank you again scott i appreciate I'll, it i'll keep you updated on that yes <laughs> every two weeks or so we'll check in with that okay great Alright, this week's guest is Mr. Chris Logan. He was the vocalist for, some would say legendary, I would agree with them, legendary hardcore band uh, Chokehold from Canada. He also sang for a band called 78 Days, and he was also the proprietor of Goodfellow Records uh, my relationship with him started there because he signed my old band Taken to the label and released everything that we had ever done. So uh, him and I became close, not only business-wise, but uh, just as a person. He was definitely one of the most genuine and down-to-earth people that i had ever had the privilege of running across through music. And, um, uh, Yeah, so I thought he would be really interesting to sit down with just because he has such a history of uh, being involved in independent music and so many different sides of what it takes to be in a band, what it takes to run a record label, um, and then kind of life afterwards. Because uh, now he just kind of keeps music in his life for fun and doesn't do it as a profession or anything like that. Um, as well as his ever-changing uh, philosophical beliefs because uh, life isn't about the destination but the journey I think that's the saying uh, but in any event uh, I had a really awesome conversation with him and uh, and here we are discussing when his last interview was'
1: of
2: Well actually when was the uh, what was the last interview you did? Um, I have no idea it's, I, I'm, I have uh, actually well you know how I am awesome at communicating with people. so yes. uh I have two interviews sitting on my desktop of my computer that I think probably stretch back two years that <gasps> I haven't haven't dealt with yet so
0: oh my, that's amazing Like are they for chokehold?
2: Um or kind of one of one of them is for a uh, mm-hmm. uh it's it's just it's the most intense interview I've ever uh, like cuz the kid that that did it knows more about the label than I do. That's
0: it that's weird.
2: It, it's just it's so it's creepy almost like uh, it, the amount of knowledge he has and he brings up stuff that like I I don't even remember and I'm just like, well I, I don't remember that. And so he'll root around and come back to me and goes, well, here it is. Here's the proof. And he'll, you know, type it out. Wow. <laughs> like Oh, my God. So, uh, you know, I, I gave him the first half of it, and then I never heard from him again. So maybe he was just, like, not impressed. I don't know.
0: Maybe maybe his webzine no longer exists anymore.
2: Yeah, who knows?
0: <laughs> well, you, uh, you know, obviously we've known each other for quite some time, but there's always that uh, – and I have an idea of where you obviously first got introduced to um, you know independent music, as it were. Um, right. But you were—I can't remember if you were. Were you actually born in Hamilton, or were you in? The yeah, certain, yeah,
2: I'm. Uh, I was born in Hamilton.
0: Born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel like you need a huge chest piece tattoo commemorating your your many years of residence there.
2: Yeah, probably that, or maybe like a, one of those Moby carts. Well, they're prevalent there. <laughs> I'm sure I'll end up in one eventually if I stay here, right?
0: <laughs> and then you can just roll around abandoned malls.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, where did you uh, where did you first get the you know the introduction to yeah? Uh, you know, what was your gateway to all the uh, independent music that you because uh, you got into metal first, right?
2: Yeah. Um... I have, I've all like, music's just been always there, like, with, uh when I was younger, I, I think I got introduced just to music in general, like, via my brother and my cousins,
3: mm-hmm. like,
2: uh, I was always there, you know, and uh, my brother's always listening to, like, uh you know, ACDC and, and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, and then, uh, you know, my cousins kind of were into more gnarly stuff, like Iron Maiden, which... Um, you know, spoke to me a little bit more probably because of the, the artwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like it, it, it just went, it went from metal, uh, to rap and then kind of back to metal. Please,
0: please tell me your rap phase. Like you actually acted out on it and you dressed up like those. Uh, I did.
2: I was into breakdancing and stuff. Oh, that, yeah. oh, that's right.
0: I vaguely remember you telling me about that.
2: Absolutely. I was, I was, <laughs> Heavily into uh, into rap and breakdancing dancing and all that stuff. Did you? I even, uh, was I even like... have a horrible story which I won't share with you about breakdancing. dancing. So.
0: But you, I think you did, didn't. You had a you had a crew and didn't you? Uh, you did you do it at school and everything? Like have the 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 uh, the cardboard and stuff.
2: Yeah, we had cardboard, but I, <laughs> I don't think I ever did it at school. I think I I strictly just kept it to uh, you know outside of my driveway and stuff. <laughs> that's
0: it. That's incredible. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like the rap was, uh, you know, like Run DMC, sure, uh, you know, LL Cool J, stuff like that. Uh, nothing, nothing too cool, but and then that that went back into metal, ironically, like back into like Iron Maiden and Quiet Riot and uh, Wasp and stuff like that. I had a a neighbor two doors down who had a a, um, a membership to that, you know, by 10 cassettes for Columbia uh, house. Yeah. And he would get nothing but metal and nothing but metal. And he'd always pass it down to me. And, uh, so I got into, I don't know, like just really bad metal, like Cinderella and, and, and wasp and, uh, you know, garbage like that. And then I had this, this kid that lived around the corner that, uh, he had this like tape case that he carried with him everywhere. And in, in that tape case was, uh, like just really crazy shit, like Sepultura and, uh, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember exactly what was in it, but he would lend me, you know, tapes to take home and listen to over the, a couple days. And I just couldn't believe the stuff I was hearing out of this tape. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, that kid actually ended up, uh, he actually committed suicide, And his mom gave me that tape case.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. So I inherited like probably, I mean, it was only like 10 or 12 tapes, but I mean, the stuff that was in there was, was crazy and just kind of stuck in my head. Sure. Um, and then I got into, I got really, really heavily into punk, like big time, like exploited and sex pistols and, uh, the clash and all that stuff. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I got the introduction to you know that kind of stuff because I I would I think it's a familiar story with everyone is they would you know I'd go down to the the record store downtown buy some LPs and then go through the thanks list right and then see what bands they were thanking and then you know try and dig up those bands sure which okay. was. Kind of difficult back in those days because there was no internet, so you couldn't just Google them,
3: right? Well,
0: and especially, so, especially because it just for everybody's frame of reference, like Hamilton is about an hour south of Toronto, and yeah, you know, it's it's a gen. I mean, it's a working class city, and it's not like the cultural hub of Canada. That's
2: <laughs> def, definitely not. And we had, I mean, we had two two record stores that were, um, like, actually side by side to each other. One. Uh, was cheapies, and they didn't, I mean, they had some okay stuff, but the other one sold uh, really cool stuff, and had tons of shirts, and uh, buy metal bands and stuff, and I used to go down there and spend pretty much all my money on records and t-shirts, but that's what I'd do, I'd write down uh, all the bands that that were on these thanks lists, and I'd go through, you know, spend Saturday afternoon, rooting through the bins, trying to find any of these bands that were on the thanks list, and you know, I, I ended up, uh, you know, buying a Minor Threat record and buying a Youth of Today record. And this was before I even had any idea what hardcore was or straight edge or anything like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, for me to get a Youth of Today record and put it on and be like, what the fuck is this? or right. uh, Like, what is, you know, what's what's with these guys? You know, I'm listening to Slayer and, and uh, you know, Sex Pistols and Exploited, and then I'm listening to Youth of Today who are, uh, you know talking about vegetarianism and stuff like that so yeah um and was
0: this was this kind of all like through like junior high and high school and that type of stuff
2: yeah, this was um like grade nine is uh grade eight i was I was pretty into metal like iron maiden was my thing like power slave was you know I was listening to that nonstop as soon as I got into grade nine I met this this kid named Sid ironically. And uh, he turned me on to punk, and I I just went like just balls deep into punk, like nonstop. Everything was punk, 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 punk. And that's that's kind of where I got into meeting uh, Jeff and Matt, Jeff Beckman and Matt Beckman, because they were they were into hardcore, and I was into punk. And they, you know I'd walk through the halls of the school, and they would make fun of me because uh, you know I'd I'd be wearing my punk stuff, and they were super hardcore skater dudes and uh, that's kind of how I got introduced to them in a roundabout way while getting to know who they were is because they would you know shove me in the lockers and call me names and stuff like that and Jeff used to to throw uh, brushes at me in class and stuff like that so, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: so you, you totally you were clearly like not friends with them until after not at all no yeah.
2: in fact uh, like me and Matt were kind of uh, Matt was Matt was like a, a, just an asshole to me, 100 percent were I, I kind of knew um, acquaintances of Jeff that were friendly towards me, but uh, Jeff was uh, you know, Jeff was like an icon in the school, you know what I mean? Like, it was high school, and Jeff was the, the hardcore punk skater dude that everyone looked up to.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: And uh, Matt was his little brother who liked to cause cause trouble.
0: And, uh, <laughs> it, it just, just for a frame of reference for everybody, we're talking, like Chris said, Jeff and Matt Beckman, who ended up playing in Chokehold with Chris and then
2: yeah. <laughs> ended it, I mean,
0: yeah, because I always have to do that occasionally just so people are like, who, what? Um, yeah. And then uh, Jeff ended up playing in Haymaker and 500 million other bands from the Southern yeah. Ontario area. Um, exactly. And then... Uh, Matt also played with he played with you in 78 days correct
2: yeah yeah, yeah. me and Matt uh, and you know Matt to this day is my best friend so right um you know we hang out all the time he's he's my best friend but uh you know back then we still joke about it how he was you know he'd roll up on me because he knew I, I, I skated as well and he him and his cronies would roll up on me in the hallway and ask me how a high I could ollie and let me see you do it right now and Stuff like that, <laughs> <laughs> and then they, you know, they call me poser or this and that. So, right, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was funny. But, so, uh,
0: so with with all that, like as you were starting to get exposed to other things, like did because chokehold was obviously not your first musical project, and I use that in quotes. Um, the because I mean, did, did, you were in Burst of Silence, right?
2: Uh, yeah, I was in Burst of Silence, but that was uh, kind of alongside. Uh, Chokehold, while Chokehold was together. Got it. Um, but before uh, before Chokehold, I, I didn't really do much other than I was in a band with the singer of Burst of Silence called God's Opposer.
0: Oh, see? Now, th- to me, this is like some of the best parts of this podcast that I've been able to do so far, where it's like <laughs> people reveal their first band names, and it's just yeah. like, they're all, they're all so amazingly bad <laughs> But so good at the same time. You're just like, dude. If you came up with a good band name when you're like, you know, 15 years old, like you're a poser. Yeah. You have to have yeah. a shitty band name.
2: Yeah, you can't. You can't be God's a poser, right?
0: No, dude. God's a po- was it? Was it pop punk or what was it?
2: No, it was. Uh, we were uh, we were kind of uh, like a metal band. I just have a distinct memory of having a jean jacket with a huge suicidal tendencies patch on the back <laughs> at that point. So
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
2: And we used to. We used to drink and do you know smoke pot and just in his mom's basement uh while she was home, and then we'd go in his garage and uh I think he had an amp that was probably the size of you know it was one of those little it was like a one foot by one foot practice amp, which we used to call toaster ovens right and uh that's all we had, and then uh my friend Zach played keyboards. I can't remember who played drums, but uh, Ryan sang. It, it was horrible. I, mean, uh, I would hope so. But we thought we were pretty awesome. So. Sure.
0: So then that that sort of gave you a taste of what you like when you started playing together with those dudes. Were you like, this is what I want to do? Like, I really um, need to do something yeah. with bands.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I've always always wanted to be in a band. Like when I was a, a little kid, I would have a. My mom had this meter stick, and I used to put on her boots, her big leather boots, and pull out this meter stick and pretend it was a guitar and pretend I was Gene Simmons. (laughs) You know, I'd wear these huge leather boots and just, like, rock out downstairs to to kiss, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, I've always, always, always wanted to be in a band. It was just what, you know, music was my life, always has been in some way or form, so uh, to, to actually like playing an instrument, well, pretend I could play an instrument was, was pretty awesome. And no, none of us could play, so. No, no. It well, wasn't that, like that, there was pressure there to, to be good or anything, so. Right. And so
0: with, with that, as you started to, as you started to form Chokehold and everything, um, you know did was it one of those things where it's like you guys practiced a shitload because there was no places to play or you'd you pretty much like all right after two weeks like we have some songs so let's play you know our friend's basement and that type of stuff
2: yeah there was um when when we started to to I think we were called bottom line first and I played bass and my friend Andrew who was our roadie for chokehold sang and then uh after I moved to vocals and then we put kind of put the band together, there was, I mean, there was nowhere to play. There was no zero, 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 zero hardcore scene or, um, like punk scene or anything to be mm. had in Hamilton. Uh, you know, there was no all ages clubs, like an all ages show is just unheard of at all. Right. So, um, I think if I remember what we did, we went to this, this really shitty bar on the mountain, which I'm sure no one will know what the mountain is, but it's, you know, Hamilton, We it's part of the city anyway. Um, we went to this really shitty bar and sat down with the owner and said, you know, we want to put a show on here. And uh, with our band and another local band who, who wasn't hardcore or anything. They're just like a, an indie rock band. Um and, Somehow we coerced them into doing it and making it all ages, which was a, another huge deal because there was a, a bar in the basement, and that was the first, the first show we did, like the first chokehold show, and I, I think probably the first hardcore show in Hamilton for, I don't know, probably 20 years or more, 25 years. Wow. Um, but I, you know, I could be wrong, but there was, there's nothing going on in Hamilton. It was just, I mean, we we had to really struggle to start something up and it was just us and our friends, maybe like at the most, maybe 10 of our friends Sure. that were kind of into the same stuff. And then uh, friends from Toronto would come down and we did this show with this uh, other band um, called the misunderstood. Yeah. And it was just our band and their band. And they were like an indie rock band and, I don't know, I mean, tons of kids came, but we were still in high school, so it was easy to, to get kids from school to come. Sure, well, because
0: you're bored on a Friday night or a Saturday night or yeah. whatever. Yeah,
2: it's all it's all ages, there's nothing else going on, so, you know, we could pack the place, and but, you know, when we played, people were just like, what the fuck? Like they, <laughs> Yeah, what does it sound like? Yeah, because we, you know, we just, we were playing, at that point, we were playing super, super fast, like as fast as we could, and I think, you know, we were playing Slapshot covers, and <laughs> um, I can't remember. Eventually, we played a Chorus of Disapproval cover as well. Sure. But, uh, you know, people just were kind of taken aback, taking and everyone just had a good time and, and yeah. uh, you know, stage dives and, and whatever. But Right.
0: And was this uh, – this was towards the end of high school, like beginning of university?
2: This was uh, – I think I was it was probably grade eleven. Okay. Because um, you know we were playing shows and we were still in high school probably for a year while we were playing you know a few shows here and there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But um. Yeah, that was. I mean, we we played at this bar a few times and then the owner got you know real greedy and realized that uh, you know he had kind of had something like there, there was we were bringing in a lot of kids. Right. So he just he would just uh, keep all the money and you know it's not like we were into the money but we knew he was being a, a dick and keeping all the money so um, at one night we just rolled around there in uh, a car and threw a giant pile of spark plugs through his front <laughs> windshield of his truck so that was the end of the show there. And, uh, <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, and then they we just I think we did one show. At another bar, it was like us, Snapcase and Ricochet, and then uh, after that, we we moved the, all the shows to that 400 Upper Sherman place. And so,
0: it's it sounds like, obviously, a lot of the people that you were running with, and I mean, you could probably still argue that some of them might have this mentality still where, um, sort of the mischievous nature where it was just like, because of, you know, your guys' location and essentially you were building something out of nothing. Um, you know, did that have an influence on the fact that, you know, Chokehold was, cause I mean, for anybody that's ever paid attention to what Chokehold did is, you know, you guys were, uh, I think outspoken is probably an understatement. Um, <laughs> you guys were obviously like making your voices and opinions known and like, do you think that was part of it, or was it just based based on the fact that you know you guys were of a certain age, where it's just like, hey, we realize the you know louder louder we yell about this, you know the there might be more attention paid to us, and not from like a oh this is gonna make our band bigger, but just like hey our views will get across.
2: Um, it's hard to see. like at that point. I don't think we really had an agenda or cared about what what we were saying, like it was just, I mean, we were pretty young in the game and, and our influences were, you know, racism is bad and sexism is bad. And, um, you know, drinking is bad and drugs are bad. So that, that's all we really cared about and, and wrote about. Okay. Um, and you know, at that point, you know, we're fans of like shelter and stuff like that. So it, it didn't, it didn't really occur to us to write about anything more until we got kind of bored and realized that, you know, you can't, you can't keep writing about the same shit over and over again.
0: Right. You can't have 15 songs about straight edge.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Jeff, Jeff was, Jeff has always been like the outspoken guy and he, he kind of was the guy who said, you know, we I would come go over to his house and we would sit down and try and write lyrics together.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And some of the, sh- the the shit he was coming up with was like, "Whoa, like you know, no one's <laughs> no one's talking about this. This is crazy. <laughs> this is awesome." Right. Um. So then we we kind of went through a, a tough guy phase, like after our uh, initial, um, you know, positive hardcore phase. Sure. Um, And then, you know, we just, we decided that we would sit down and and write about stuff that, you know, no one was really talking about. So uh, I don't know what in particularly uh, influenced that direction, but other than, you know, like I said, we, you know, we decided that we couldn't just sit down and write the same. Like, we got to write another record or we got to write another seven inch. We've already covered these Things you know, where can we go from here? And sure, I, I, I think um, b- both Jeff and I and Matt were starting to listen to bands like Born Against and Rorschach and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and Hell No, and so it, that definitely played a part in it as well.
0: Yeah. What? When did you first start to notice uh, people giving a shit? Uh, Pro- probably your last show, I'm guessing. Because that's that's usually the way things go.
2: I I mean, depends on what you mean by giving like giving a shit. Like, um,
0: I guess, I guess from I mean, because obviously, like you know, we're talking about the early '90s here, so
2: yeah,
0: the, it, giving a shit is definitely you know, you not not talking about comparing it to what people are experiencing giving giving a shitness in 2012, but you know, giving yeah. a shit where it's like. Oh wow! Like you know, we can we can actually start doing you know tours of the states and you know head over to Europe and that type of stuff. Like you know, what what was I, what was the first step that you were just like, wow, this is really
2: fucking weird. We're doing this. I, I don't know. I mean, like we never we never had problems booking a tour because we like we just did it ourselves and we never we uh, never really interested in in looking for anyone else's help or uh, like you know at that time booking agents. I don't think even existed or gave a shit about hardcore bands, but yeah, they definitely
0: didn't give a shit about hardcore bands then.
2: <laughs> yeah. And we just like, we would make friends, uh, with anyone, like anyone that would, uh, <laughs> at that point it was like writing letters, you know, we'd get tons and tons and tons of mail, like just crazy amounts of mail at, at Jeff's house. And, you know, whoever wrote us, we'd write back and just, and make that connection. And, and and most of the time that connection was a zine or a band or, or someone that could help out with their local scene. Sure. So, you know, we just, that's how we booked tours. We we had tons of friends and we didn't care if they were popular or not. We didn't care if the city was big or not or had a scene or didn't have a scene. We didn't give a shit.
0: Right. You just, and, knew, you just knew that you were able to kind of put piece something together.
2: Yeah, I mean, we didn't care. We, we, we had a van and, and equipment, so we just loaded it up, and you know, we we would drive seven hours and play in front of five people. Right. And it, and we did our whole first tour was that probably two weeks of playing in front of five, ten, fifteen people, and it didn't matter. But uh, you know, Mike Warden took notice, and I think you know, as much as we've had our Falling out with Mike Warden, he's probably the reason that we got the attention that we got. And this is
0: Mike, this is Mike from Conquer the World Records, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because he he put out uh, he put out that record, and it definitely got us attention. And you know, he he brought us to Detroit, played with Snapcase. Um, you know, and that was the other thing is we we would go to shows probably every single weekend. We'd go to a show in Buffalo or Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And so we had tons of friends there and all those bands were starting to get big and tour as well. So that helped us as well. Um, get, get out there anyway, um, upstate New York, especially, but I, I think probably the, when we realized that we were like, Holy shit, like this is going really well was, um, after that record came out, and we were doing weekend trips down to Philadelphia and Boston and there'd be 300 kids at the show. And <laughs> every time we go back, kids would know the words and we'd be like, Holy fuck, this is, this is awesome. This is crazy. Yeah. Like, so, and,
0: and so as, as that stuff started to pop for you guys, and when I say pop, like, you know, you started to see like people coming out to the show specifically to see you guys. Like how did, um, you know, like how did your family react and stuff? Because by this point, you know, you were kind of having to uh, make decisions to sacrifice time and you know normal lifestyle for obviously focusing on the band. Like, you know, were they were they like, yeah. oh, 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 Chris, like you were making terrible decisions?
2: Um, uh, honestly, I I hate to say it, but yeah, they they were like that because sure. I mean my my family is. is like my mom and dad are awesome and they always support me, but they definitely weren't believers in the the band. And I don't think they really grasped it or believed that, that we were doing something that was successful until they had to drive us to the airport and we were going to Europe. Right. <laughs> They're like, what do you and, mean? Yeah. And I, that was truly the first time I think they were like, well, wow. I, you know, I, I think, they actually did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they drove us to the airport and they picked us up from the airport eight weeks later. <laughs> and, you know, we looked like a bunch of homeless people, but you know, I think that was the first time that my family anyway was, uh, Jeff and Matt's family was always awesome. Like mm. we practiced there. They, you know, <laughs> but I got to say, none of our families ever came to see us play ever. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, I don't care because I wouldn't know how to explain it to them anyway if they did come and see it, so. Right. Um, maybe Matt and Jeff's parents did. I, I can't remember, but I don't think they did. But, um, yeah, I, I know my dad was was always kind of, um, you know, I, I don't know about this. And, you know, even to this day, if I, uh, you know, I'm playing in a band with, with Matt and Dave from Harvest. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he get he gets wind of it every now and then, he's like, "Oh, I don't know if you're getting it back into this band stuff." And <laughs> that's I don't a- know about that, and I don't want you off touring everywhere, and you know, you're trying to run a business.
0: That's a that's amazing. That I think it's just a it's a parental instinct from that sort of perspective, where you know, because they they experienced the whole you know Woodstock and everything like that, and yeah. just you know having yeah. the context of that in your head versus what we've experienced with independent music where it's just like, it's on a whole, like when we say tour, it doesn't mean what they think of tour.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, I, I, like I'm pretty, my parents were are completely to this day and, and then are completely clueless to, to anything that I did with the band, like, you know, mm-hmm. They they didn't they never asked or you know I'd come home and there's no I don't know there's just zero interest in it I don't know why because um, they they're always supportive of everything I've done
3: mm-hmm.
2: other than that <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I don't really know the reasoning behind it and sure I don't make this want to make them seem like bad parents but yeah they as far as the band goes they have zero interest in it and. Never really asked much about it.
3: So. Yeah, I know for
0: sure. And so as um, as what cho- what about you? Like how you know? I I mean, it's interesting because I do think. Cause, I mean, since you and I are, are, I mean, you're a few years older than me, so it's like we're a little different generationally speaking. But our parents are probably roughly around the same age, so I feel we probably yeah. had similar experiences. My my mom in particular, like she she didn't understand it, but she, if I were able to place the band in context versus like real world stuff, i.e. mom, I'm only going to tour during the summers. I'm only going to tour during like, you know, these, these specific designations of time. Yeah. It made sense to her more where it's like, Oh, okay. I I get what he's doing. But I think once, yeah, once I did start to let her in as far as like, you know, I mean, something as stupid as like folding merch where it's like, she's like, Oh my gosh, like you're ordering a lot of t-shirts and like, yeah. Just those little things, like she began to understand it a little bit, then like, whatever, if you know, her and I went to like, you know, eat out or something like that and some random kid was like, Oh dude, I saw you guys last weekend like Yeah. That stuff started to make it more real to her and um
2: Yeah. yeah, so, yeah.
0: But no, I under- I understand what you're saying. I mean she showed an interest, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna sit down and explain like, dude, the show in Boise, Idaho was amazing. Like
2: Yeah. No, and my mom was It was awesome because I I would do I used to do tons of shows in Hamilton and I'd have the band stay in my house and uh, she would always get up and make everyone you know breakfast and she just treated everyone that stayed there like gold but just never never asked what was going on just that. She just did it, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, that's and that's. It's
2: never like, well, who are these people? And why are they here? And and why is there a leaky van in the in the driveway? And one of the band's silk screen T-shirts on my driveway, like they just laid out like fifty T-shirts and dropped the screen, you know, screened it, go into the next one, and, and right. she just sat on the porch and watched the whole thing. Never, never inquired about what the hell was going on. But uh, yeah.
0: Well, I, I think that just speaks to a person's, you know, soul and the way they view the world where it's like, okay, well, like, clearly these are friends of my son. So, you know,
3: yeah, I'll be
0: nice. I to know. And
2: she, she treated them. She treated everyone so well, and you know, make, you know, do your laundry and here's some food. And... Oh, which is like
0: this, which <laughs> is like the savior for any band on tour.
2: Yeah, Totally. That's totally. amazing.
0: So yeah. as as chokehold started to kind of wrap up and because you know you guys came to a very tumultuous end and you know you did a final show going into it. No like you knew you were gonna break up after that because you played a final show in Boston, am I correct or no?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh it was in uh the hell is that place called? I can't remember what it's called. New Bedford.
0: The, oh yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, but we we knew because we did uh we knew when we when we were in Europe we kind of knew that things were coming to an end because um the band kind of split in half when we were over there and and me and matt kind of did did our thing and and jeff and the other guys did their thing sure and we didn't there was actually one point on that tour where we discussed breaking up and just going our own way in europe
3: Mm
2: -hmm. because uh I don't think we knew we were getting into and we went there. We, we didn't know who, I mean, we knew who was doing the tour, but we didn't know anything about them. It was a, the MAD. Right. Um, and from what the story we gathered from more than a dozen people over there that told us is that they kind of used us to, um, better their, uh,
0: reputation.
2: uh, Yeah. Like, I guess they they were doing sick of it all and 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 Madball and Agnostic Front and all those kind of bands, but they weren't really helping out smaller bands.
0: Got it. They wanted and, to get, like they're giving back to the people, so to speak.
2: Exactly, and and for them to book us of all bands is just like what the fuck! Like yeah. it didn't make any sense. And sure, we we got over there and they threw us on a bus like with bunks and and we're just like what the hell! Like this is crazy. <laughs> And then people were like, "Well, you know, they're they're only doing this because they're trying to improve their reputation over here with, uh, you know, with hardcore kids." <clears throat> we pull up to shows. I mean, pulling up to a squat in in Germany on a you know bus with bunks and and plumbing and and whatever, it just makes you feel like the biggest piece of shit ever. Sure. So it was it was definitely that was when we were like, "Well, what are we doing?" Because this isn't isn't really us, right? But
0: uh, and so so I, as you as Chocol was kind of wrapping up, like did you you saw yeah you saw it coming obviously. So you know did you yeah. did did the seeds the already get kind of planted for you to potentially you know do like a record label and do Goodfellow and stuff like that, or where did that idea come into your mind?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I mean I was already doing a record label previous to that with Jeff. And uh, we did the Slugfest and the Bloodlet, uh, seven inches. That was Surface Records, right? That was uh, Structure. Structure, that's right. I knew it was an S. Um, But that didn't really leave a good taste in my mouth for doing a label. So uh, I took a break from that. And then probably after the band had been broken up for, I would say it was probably about a year, that's when I started you know, mulling the idea of doing a a comp um, was the first thing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually didn't really even think about doing a label. I just wanted to do a comp, <clears throat> but I figured you know since I've come this far and contacted all these bands, I'll start a label. So that's kind of where that came from.
0: Sure, because um, that that was I mean for people that don't know, you obviously signed my band Taken, and that was like my first interaction with you. And so I just remember sitting in my college computer room. I was a freshman and <laughs> I just remember getting an email from you cuz we had no fucking clue what we were doing. We were sending around 7-inch press packages, which who the yeah. fuck is going to listen to a 7-inch press package? But I mean it it it's it sounds so foreign now, but you know, people still did kind of like, all right, well, this is how you get your word out and how you get your band name out and Yeah we weren't expecting to you know, get signed off of this, but I just remember receiving that email from you and being like, I honestly, I was, I was like intimidated and scared to speak to you. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, dude, here's Chris Logan from fucking chokehold. Like this is like Goodfellow records. Like it was on my radar, but I just didn't, you know, like I said, I just yeah. didn't expect it. And so, um, that's obviously where our relationship began and everything. Um, and so you and you know, you, you put out I mean, how many releases at the end of the day? Like it was like I don't know, sixty or seventy, right?
2: Yeah, I think it I wanna say it bailed out around close to sixty, like fifty eight or something like that.
0: Yeah, and that was I mean, that was your for the most part, I mean you it was your full time endeavor, but obviously you were also working at the distribution company that handled um good yeah. for the records, Sonic Onion, so
2: uh, I like to pretend it was my full-time endeavor, but it definitely, <laughs> I, I never really fully, I never really fully realized that, because it, I just, with, like, the stuff I was doing at Sonic I didn't really took most of my time up, but, uh, you know, but without those guys, uh, I probably wouldn't have got as far as I did, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, sure. And so, and then, you know, you obviously, you did a band after Chokehold as well called 78 Days, and you put you Goodfellow put out the first EP and then Trustkill put out the second EP. Like was it yeah. when you and Matt decided to do that, was this something you guys were like, all right, like let's get back in the saddle and like, let's fucking hit this. Or was it like, all right, let's kind of see how it goes. Or what was your mentality? Uh,
2: I, I was, I think we were both, uh, especially, I know for sure I was pretty full on, like I wanted to do something and I, I definitely wanted to tour and I definitely wanted to play a lot of shows. But uh, I think we quickly realized that um, that wasn't going to happen because uh, after Chokehold was done, we all kind of settled into some serious jobs and whatnot. Right. Um, so we—it's not—it wasn't something like I was going to be able to take time off work, and Matt wasn't going to be able to take time off work, and and Josh, and so I think we just settled on playing a lot of shows around the area. Like uh, we played Syracuse a few times and Buffalo and.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, and, well. I mean, it's probably good that you guys didn't have these huge aspirations because, clear, I mean, even though stylistically, like I personally really enjoyed what Seventy Eight Days did, but stylistically, like Drive Like Jehu influenced hardcore at the t- at that time was clearly not going to set the world on fire.
2: Oh my God, we had, uh, you know, it, it's funny because all of us were so into that band, like we just thought everything we are doing was so fucking good. <laughs> but, uh, compared to Chokehold, it was like, you know, wow, we're actually like writing kind of a song and right. there's kind of parts and, you know, it just doesn't all fall apart at the end and stuff. So
0: And, and your record, your recording quality improved exponentially because. Chokehold. Yeah.
2: It was the first time like any of us had recorded and, and could actually like play it for people and not kind of turn red while we're playing it. <laughs> Uh, but you're right, because pe- people just didn't fucking get it at all. And we would play shows and people would buy the record. I swear to god this happened so many times. People would buy the record, go out to their car and play it and bring it back to us. <laughs> oh and, man. And, and say <laughs> this isn't this is nothing like Chocolate. Like, well no, it's not. <laughs> and we took back a ton of records because people just didn't they didn't like it at all. Sure. And when we we played, we went on tour with uh, Brothers Keeper and uh, a little, a few dates with Boys That's Fire. Mm-hmm. And we played this one show and it was um, those three bands and it was Converge and Today is the Day as well. Okay. It was this, in a huge hall in D.C. and we played first and every, after every song it was just fucking crickets. like. <laughs> Dead silent. Yeah, or we play faster. Or <laughs> where's the mosh part? Where's the chokehold cover? It was brutal. That tour killed us. We just came home and just our heads buried in the sand. Yeah. Like, why do Why can't people just like this?
0: <laughs> well, so. it's it's interesting having that like second go around experience where it's just like something that you're trying to break away from. You know, yeah. Pe- people just, you know, in some respects, people just want to hear what you've previously done or whatever.
2: Yeah, I get that because I'm um, I'm the same way with some bands, right? So right. I, I understand that. We're all guilty of that. it's not, it's not like it was. I mean, I guess I was shocked because I didn't, I didn't feel like it was uh, too wimpy. You know what I mean? And I thought it definitely had balls to it, but right i I don't know, I guess people didn't <laughs> <laughs>
0: people didn't gel
2: with it yeah.
0: um and so you know now now that you're obviously like not doing good fellow look look back on the label and kind of give sort of one one triumph where you're just like, Wow, this was incredible that you know I was able to achieve this or we were able to do this or whatever, and then you know sort of looking back uh, at the same the same time period and being like one one monumental mistake where it was like all right like i fucking wish that you know i didn't sign this band not because they suck but just because they broke up like 2 weeks after i put out the
2: record <laughs> uh i don't know i mean it it was all good to me every record we put out i was pretty excited like uh, you know i'd get excited like a little kid and just yeah. wait for it to come back from the pressing plant but um I definitely the days like where we put uh, your records out and like Shogun. Mm-hmm. I was definitely most stoked at that point because I was not uh, hating music as much then. Sure. Um, so you know, I I, I remember just uh, I remember bothering you like so much. Like I just want to hear a little bit of because I think <laughs> that was when you guys were record recording and they slept. Sure. And I just, I couldn't wait to hear that, man. I just was dying to hear it. And I know, and I know you know, but like everyone at Sonic Onion and all my friends, we were all, they were all dying just as much as I was. Because <laughs> you guys got a pretty sick following up here, but.
0: Yeah, it was, just, and it was so, It like when I talk to people about it to this day, where it's just like the Southern Ontario area, uh, it just blew my mind how obviously they embraced us so you know, steadily yeah. and steadily, and obviously, you can, you know, yeah, dir- dude, dir- dir- directly link it back to the fact of your proximity and the fact that people paid attention to what Goodfellow was doing. But yeah, it was just so, because still at that time, it was really weird for people like a West Coast band to hook up with like an East Coast Canadian label. Like people ask us that question all the time, and it was like, I don't know, it just it made sense.
2: Yeah, and, and you guys definitely like. You guys putting records out on on my label, label definitely uh, set off that kind of thing for me because then, you know, it wasn't weird for bands to, at first I'd be like, well, you know, I'm from Canada and, you know, I don't really have great distro <laughs> over in the U.S. Because uh-huh. no one was really interested in distroing a Canadian hardcore label then. Of course. Um, but I, I think you guys helped me out in the fact that it wasn't weird for bands from the U S to sign to, to Goodfellow anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, um, but, and, so, uh, and
0: so what sort of, uh, what, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like this monumental catastrophic mistake, but just looking back where it's just like, oh yeah, like I w I wish the chips would have fallen a little bit differently on this scenario or whatever.
2: I don't know, man. It, it's it's hard for me to talk about uh, Goodfellow because it, it it was it started off as one thing and ended off as something completely that I didn't want and didn't like. Yeah. Um, I I think that the problem is it, it wasn't so much of a problem as like I, I wanted to work with my friends, and sure. it's really hard to mix business with friendship. It's hard, yeah. A, a, very very, very hard, <laughs> and uh I think I had a really hard time separating that
3: mm-hmm. with
2: with a lot of people because i most of the bands that I worked with and put records out for were friends of mine, and that that became really difficult, and I think that created a lot of stress and anxiety for me in the end sure um
0: well you're but, and you you yourself as a person are already a very um You are already very high, strung, Even though, (laughs) even though it's funny because your persona and the way that you present yourself is like you know very. You could you could be from California and people would not be like oh this you know but underneath I kind of I kind of equate you to like a duck where it's like on the surface you seem pretty calm and like things are cool. I mean you can obviously see when you're stressed, but then. Underneath you're just like this, you know, bubbling like, oh my god, like so much shit's going like in your head. You're yeah. just in your head.
2: I, I took on way too much. Yeah. Uh at the end. Like I was doing Goodfellow. We had like probably eight records in the works for Goodfellow. And I was also um managing that label, uh, Lab Work, which Winter Sleep was on, which is a pretty big band from Canada. hmm and that label was had ties with e m i so I was running that label i was running i was label managing Sonic onion as a label uh I was managing the distribution company <laughs> and it just it was it all just came to a head, and like i almost had or possibly had a nervous breakdown and just kind of quit like everything right um and you know which was a huge deal for me because i it's not like me to quit. So, but I knew if I didn't, I'd probably be in a lot of trouble like health wise. You'd be institutionalized. Absolutely. I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just quit, man. I just, I walked in like I, I had this really, really, really horrible night uh, of just kind of melting down. And then I went into work the next day and I just, I laid it all in the line and just quit. So, yeah. um, and at the same time, like with Goodfellow, like I just put out what what should have been a series of our biggest records and our best sellers. Mm. It was like this perfect storm, like this culmination of the labels getting really big. We just were just putting out Cursed 3, which was going to be huge. And it leaked that that was like. Uh, this was kind of like all around that time when records would leak, you know what I mean? And kids would download the shit out of them. Right. And it, like this, this was all when all that was happening. Like kids were were not buying records when just when all this stuff was coming out. Like my biggest records.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's when, and people just didn't give a shit anymore. They didn't buy records. They just, and that thing leaked probably months before it came out, and everybody downloaded it, and that was supposed to be like the record that kind of hopefully brought us halfway out of the hole. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then the band broke up after it came out. Right. And then, you know, you know, what else can be said? Like basically three records I think we put on the road, the bands broke up and it was just a really, really bad scene. Sure. Like
0: what, yeah. one, One blow after one blow. And it's like, there's only so much that you can take.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and the amount of money that was out there was just so much. And the amount of money that, you know, we're sitting in a, in a hole was so much. And yeah, it just, it was, it was the perfect storm really. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, And so, yeah, like you said, you obviously removed yourself from the situation and, you know, your, your passion for music never died and everything. But there, there is something obviously like we were mentioning before I started recording where it was like, you know, you've, you've. You you are a grown ass man. You are an adult now. You've Damn. you've you, you have a child, which we will speak of in a few minutes, but I do you um you know you, you are no longer straight edge and or No, I'm not and and you are no longer vegan or vegetarian. Uh no, I'm not. And so and obviously, you know, you look back on, you know, what Chokehold was doing and it's like granted, this is yeah. it's it's a very long span of time, so it's like, you know, how you in my own my own personal opinion where it's like you see two schools of thought when it comes to obviously like straight edge and you know that whole youth culture movement where it's like people that you know do continue on with it um, yeah. and, you know that is one thing but then there's there's the people that obviously decide to you know stop for whatever whatever reason you have yeah. your people that Stop and look back on that time and view it as you know childish, stupid, whatever, and they just they, they kind of shuffle past that if they ever you know it gets brought up in a casual conversation right and, and then you have your people who are on the other side who are just like no i you know i'm I'm proud of that, and it you know got me through great times in my life, and you know it just it served a purpose, but that purpose is no longer there.
2: You strike right. me as the
0: person who kind of falls in the ladder of the camp, am i right
2: oh for sure yeah, yeah. i I mean. If I was the other type of person, I kind of would, I would kind of turn my back on my roots, right? But, right. Uh, I mean, I still am very passionate about what I did, and I still kind of, in a way, I live, live the same lifestyle. Like, I, I, uh, I'm not straight edge, but I'm not a burnout, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. Uh, when... When I was straight edge and all my friends were becoming unstraight edge, it was like, well, I've missed 20 years of this. I have to make it all up and now. And you know, those people would become addicts. Uh, that never happened for me. Like I didn't. I don't binge on anything. I never binged when I stopped being straight edge. I never. You know, it, it's just I went through that. I think if there's a plus with um, you know, drinking and doing drugs. Is I already did that, so uh, I went through that period a long time ago before I was straight edge. Right. And that's kind of why I went straight edge. Is because uh, I, if I didn't, I would probably be maybe dead. I don't know. You know, right. like I, I definitely had a problem back then.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I I died. I overdosed on on booze and and drugs one night. So, you know, I. That's <laughs> that's a, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I ended up in the hospital and and that, you know, luckily I came through it and turned shit around. So I have no, uh, there's no urgency for me to go back to that that nightmare part of my life. So, you know, I I figure I'm 38 if I come home from work and I want to have a beer. Oh, I'll have a beer. (laughs) I'm not going to have 20 and be like, worst day at work ever. Give me a 24 case. Right. Um, I can handle it, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where I sit.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I I totally understand. That's and uh, like I said, I knew you fell in that camp, and obviously there are other people that fall in the other camp, and th- that's, I think people that do grow up, and obviously, I mean, you know, I'm 31 and I'm still straight edge, but I don't, you know, I'm not looking at you being like, oh man, Logan is a total burnout. Um, no, I
2: know, and you never have. You were the you're actually the first person that found out about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, no one, no one, no one has ever given me any kind of like. The the only people I was I, like when I stopped being straight edge, the only people that I was really concerned about what they would think of me was you and Chris Callahan. Right, and that's the truth. And you know, both of you didn't really care. You know, which was, which was cool. I mean, that's yeah.
0: We're because uh, we're reasonable people and we're grown ups, and you know, we're not we're not 17 years old anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, exactly. So that's that's really that's really all there was to it. I mean, sure. there was no uh, conceited effort to be like oh, I'm going to break straight edge and
0: <laughs> I can't wait. This is this is the moment I've been waiting for my whole life.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um and so hitting on like I was mentioning you um you have a, a kid and he how old is he now? 8. Okay. The, I mean, and I myself have a child that's a year old. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask you something that is it, it's just continually on my mind. Where, okay, the, you know, as I mean, because obviously, he, your child being eight years old, um, you know, you've he is completely becoming his own individual, and you know, he absolutely he, he you, you as a you as a parent. You have to obviously ultimately realize that you have you have some influence on a child's life, obviously, but at the end of the day, they're gonna run off and do their own shit. Um, yep. So, like, you know, how how has that been raising a child with sort of the independent culture that you've kind of been brought up in? And you know, how does that, um, you know, how does that influence the way that you raise him?
2: Uh, it's right now. I'm not right now I, I still have a say in what he does and I, I still feel like I influence him. Okay. Uh, I know those days are probably coming to an end. (laughs) Yeah, they're numbered. (laughs) But, uh, I have a, I have a very unique relationship with, with him because, um, like I only have him half the week. So Mm -hmm. like I have him Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, when i have him it's not like before when i had him all the time it was kind of okay well on the weekend we'll do something you know what i mean and and we'll you know we'll plan something we'll spend some time together now when i have him every almost every second is kind of dedicated to hanging out with him mm-hmm. because i only have him for half the week so it like our relationship is almost buddy buddy like we're we're buddies first and then I'm his dad second almost. So okay. it, it it's it's weird, it's kinda hard to explain. It's like he he'll hang out with me, you know what I mean? Like we'll we'll hang out, we'll play skate three on PS three right. and you know, every second word out of his mouth is dude and you know <laughs> it's not dad or daddy. It's like dude, oh my god, you know, I just pulled a sick Christ air. <laughs> right, right. Uh so but at the same time, you gotta still be a dad sometimes. So it's harder to be a dad when you're when you're that buddy buddy with your kid, because mm-hmm. when you do have to be a dad, it makes it that much harder because you gotta you know, drop the hammer. Yeah, of course. Um, and then you feel like a dick because you're you're not used to dropping the hammer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, do, does the uh, you know are you, the one? And I I wouldn't even really qualify this as a fear personally, but it. It's one of those things where I'm just so curious as to what you know when when your kid is you know whatever 13 14 15 years old you know what is he going to bring home that's going to shock you? What is he going to do that's going to be like you're going to have no context for what it is? And it's just like that. That's the one thing that it just blows my mind because I think that we have been we've experienced so much within sort of the independent pop culture world more so right. than more so than what our parents have. Yeah, um, just because of. The you know glut of information that's out there, so I'm just so curious as to see what what that's gonna happen. You know what 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 that's gonna look like when they try yeah. to rebel.
2: That's a, that's a that's a good question, man. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I'm I'm so like I'm such a paranoid parent already. Yeah, like uh, I worry about like I worry about shit that no one should ever worry about. <laughs> Like I just, I'll nitpick over the stupidest stuff. Like, oh, you know, oh my God, his toenail's too long. You know, I got (laughs) to cut that or or it'll get stuck in a shoe or, you know, just, uh, so I don't know. I mean, uh, probably everything will shock me at at that point. Yeah. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's, it's super interesting because I just think that we are, we're a culture of stunted adolescence in a way where it's like, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Where, I mean, I, you know like we accept responsibility and we will be you know we're not skirting that and we're not just like oh fuck the world like you know yeah but there is that semblance of just like dude we've been pretty much doing the same stuff since we were 15 years old whereas yeah. Yeah. Our, our parents had to kind of you know grow up in some way so i don't know it'll be interesting but
2: yeah i i don't know i mean i, I can't like i can't project that far like a yeah it's weird because I, I was just looking at pictures the other day of him when he was uh, like two, and I know I remember when he was two being like I, I can't I can't picture at all what this is gonna be like when he's five or eight. Right. And, and now I'm, he's eight, and I just can't. I, every day I'm like, oh my god, I can, when he's a teenager, it's gonna be a nightmare. Like, what, you know, <laughs> what be <laughs> like? Yeah. But you know, I, I'll just roll with it like I have been. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's not much. What pl- to expect? Not much planning ahead when it comes to parenting. He's he, he's
2: such a he, he's such a chill kid. He's he's awesome. Like you know, mm-hmm. I definitely. Uh, I it's awesome because as, as he gets older, I can project more of my interests on him. Of course. Um, you know now. Music, like I'm trying to, you know, get him interested in music, and he is interested in music, but just really bad music, right? Uh, in my opinion, but sure. you know, I don't, I don't say anything. Like if he's listening to whatever, some dancey song, I don't say, oh, that's horrible, right? Because I, I want him to be interested in it, no matter what.
0: That's true, yeah. Uh,
2: but right now, his, his, for him, like he's going through my CD wallet in the car. And yeah, I still have a CD wallet in my car. Uh, but he goes through it and he, he doesn't look at the band names. He just looks at the artwork that's on the CDs and he'll pick like, you know, he DJs the car. So he'll pick out whatever looks the most gnarly, you know, so he's handing me up, you know, King Diamond and stuff like that. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah.
0: So. Um, and sort of two two last things to sort of wrap everything up. Um you know, one you mentioned earlier that you're, you know, currently playing, uh, you know, new musical endeavors, so to speak, with uh, Dave from Harvest and Matt, who you've been playing with for years. Like, uh, yeah, do, what what sort of uh, info would you like to reveal about that?
2: Uh, it's an epic adventure. Good, because you know we're all dads, and Dave is a new dad as of I think no less than two months ago. Right. So that that's been making things you know and and my work schedule and Matt's insane work schedule, just getting together has been challenging, but uh we have five songs, and we were hoping to record them in March, but we didn't, so hopefully we'll record them this summer and then get them out in some form or another. What's the name of the band? Anxiety.
0: There you go. They have you guys have, very aptly. <laughs> <laughs> and you got and they have a Facebook page, I know, with some music up there.
2: Uh yeah, there's some music. It's you know, it is what it is. Crab, crappy good. demo space recordings. Yeah, it was recorded on uh, Dave's laptop or something. But Yeah. Um yeah, in other breaking news. Uh oh, breaking uh I might looks like I'm gonna be playing some music with some uh buffalo hardcore dudes shortly as well so. oh
0: wow and, and people you're allowed to reveal or got to keep that in yeah well
2: i'm i think you know mike jeffers Oh, of course yeah and uh and one of his friends from um rochester nice very cool yeah so he sent me some songs uh yesterday and they're awesome so hopefully we'll put those together soon as well nice
0: yeah, yeah. you gotta always have the musical bug
2: yeah, man. <laughs>
0: um, and then, sort of, to wrap things up, um, the you know, obviously, since I mean, we're speaking as friends, but at the same time, there's obviously also the fact that you can look back at you know the fact that people still talk about chokehold, which I'm sure just kind of makes your head explode in certain ways, where it's like that, that doesn't even make sense. So, how does how does the the legacy how does the musical legacy kind of sit with you now where it's just like, it's so strange that people still pay attention to something that happened in the early nineties.
2: Uh, I don't know because I don't, I don't know if people are paying attention. Like, I, I don't, you know, no one's banging down my door being like, Joe Cold, you know, this and that. Like, well, I here, I'm going not...
0: to, I'm going to reference something that, I mean, because I do agree, like, you know, maybe four years ago, more people might have been saying stuff about Chokehold, but I just something that happened within the past six months that band Foundation, that's from Atlanta, yeah, um, yeah. they I think they did like a hometown show or whatever, and they did they made like 50 or 60 of these shirts. Um, and basically it just says, Listen to Chokehold, um, <laughs> the, like on awesome. the back of the shirt. And I'm fairly certain that it's a rip in some way, shape, or form of like an early Chokehold shirt design. Um, I just I can't remember the Foundation shirt exactly what it looks like, but basically it just says "Listen to Chokehold." And granted, Foundation is definitely steeped in mid '90s, you know, mythology and hardcore, so that's not too out of the realm. But right. Um, but yeah, so it's like you know, there there is still that sort of reverential interest.
2: Um, it's it's weird for me because I. I... Like I'm kind of entrenched in a in a like there's I don't really go to many shows anymore. It's not by choice. I just don't have time. Sure. Um. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, I'm in, I'm steeped in in a grown up world here. So it's you know uh, the weirdest thing that happened to me is my uh, friend of Liam's dad took me to see Alexis on Fire. And he's like, yeah, you got, you got to come see this band, Alexis on Fire. So I went with him, and, and you know, the whole time I'm just like. Yeah, this, is, you know, like this is so weird. I, yeah, it's so weird. Like, and I just want to say to like, you know, I, I I was in a band like this. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, and, and you know, we, we just go about our life. But, right. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. You know, I'm a grown-up dad, so, you know, I go to school and pick up my kid and
0: you do your thing
2: yeah i do my thing but
0: does your child have any uh frame of reference in regards like have you showed him stuff where it's like hey this is what dad did a long time ago
2: um i don't i haven't but i know he he's aware and you know it it, probably his mom or uh, or my girlfriend is probably i think uh my girlfriend Tara showed him a video on YouTube, and he's just like, you know, he looked at it for about five seconds, and then eh, whatever, I'm gonna build some Lego.
3: <laughs> That's so, amazing. You no, know,
2: he doesn't. He knows, but he doesn't really grasp it. Right, like right. Probably most people, whether they're kids or adults, don't really grasp it. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. It is what it is. I, I don't no, you know. Like I said, no one's uh, banging down my door saying, "Yo, chokehold this or chokehold that." But
0: right, right, yeah. You're not. You're not on the Bridge Nine Records message board looking for uh, chokehold references, and or you have a Google search, uh, Google alert set to chokehold.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I think my my claim to fame will always be is that I played some shows with Refused. <laughs> <laughs> I know those guys. Yeah, I I played with them. I got a picture of me beside the singer. Yeah, that's that's about as cool as I get. So. Yeah, that's that,
0: that that's worth some credential points right now.
2: Yeah, it's yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> well, Christopher, thank you so much for obviously wanting to hang out on the phone and wax poetic about everything that is uh, fun with music.
2: Thanks, man. It was fun. <laughs>